Yeah. I just really believe in this, like just looking at it in a different way. And as you start looking at it outside of your own framework, that the answers start coming and that the answer doesn't have to be perfect, but the more that you really wrestle with this honestly within yourself, the easier it is to accept that it doesn't have to be perfect. The easier it is to accept that this 80% solution is fine. It's okay. I've really looked at it from all the angles and this is a good choice. I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love. You are love. We are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others, to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you, I support you, and I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Becca Ribbing is an author and coach. She helps people get unstuck so they can break through and live their fullest potential and purpose. In her book, The Clarity Journal, it will help you to stop going around in circles and finally figure out what you truly want and create the clarity and momentum that you crave. During the episode, we talk about that in most times of having your life's purpose, it's not your purpose for your entire life. It's for the time being and will change and evolve just as you do. The power of recognizing your weaknesses, but not judging yourself, and the difference between procrastination or a lack of prioritization, and much more. Becca Ribbing, coach and author, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. So everyone, Becca's mission is to help people break out of the cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back. So I see like, it's like, seems to be like a theme of what you're doing is you are helping get people unstuck and helping them break through uh, to their fullest potential. Uh, so yeah, if you could just give us a little bit of an understanding uh, of just what type of coaching that you do. Yeah. So I've, I've been a coach for quite a while and I really focus on helping people with that, where they're stuck. Like when, you know, we all do this, you, we all either have done it ourselves or we've seen a friend go through it where they're stuck in the cycle of what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And they're just constantly asking the question and they really have a hard time figuring out the answer. That's kind of my 
sweet spot. <laughs> I really love helping people get through that because I think that so often when we get stuck there, and I say we, because I have been stuck there before, uh, when we get stuck there, we're really stuck because we're looking at the problem the same way over and over and over again. And it's so funny because you'll know when a friend is there because they will say the same question over and over again. And you're just like, okay, get another question. (laughs) (laughs) And and I laugh because I've done it myself and it's funny, but so I really love helping people. And the clarity journal actually came up because I was in my own cycle of that. I had been a coach for quite a while but it had a lot of life changes. My second kid was born. I, we just had a lot of issues during that period of time. Like I had a bad chiropractic adjustment and had to use a cane during my pregnancy on and off. And then we moved while I'm like kind of slightly disabled. We move from DC to Seattle in my third trimester. And then the poor kid just had all these ear infections and lots of like stuff go on. And so he was not a super happy baby. Um, He tried to be, but it's hard when, you know, you're in pain. And so when I was coming out of that, because a lot of times what happens when we're stuck is either we've been in the same place for a long, like too long, and we really need something new, or we're really getting back to ourselves because we've been through a lot of turmoil. And I think a lot of people like kind of probably in this right now in this moment are kind of feeling the same thing. It's like, we're coming out of the pandemic. We're coming out of this turmoil and you feel stuck you don't know what to do. And, but you also just don't even know how to break yourself out of the cycle in your own head. And so it's funny. I was talking to a friend uh, as we do, and she stopped me and she was like, Becca, okay. You've been stewing about this for quite a long time. Like, what would you tell a client? And I laughed and really got annoyed. Like, There's a little <laughs> part of me. It's like, thanks. And I just, I got off the call and I started writing down everything I could think of for helping people move through that cycle. And as I was doing it, I just realized how powerful it was to be asked these questions because the questions get us out of our own head and really focusing on the answers as opposed to the question itself. Yes. The answer as opposed to the question. That's like one of the most frustrating things ever when we just feel stuck And like you said, we've all been there. I've been there before. And it's like you can literally physically almost feel yourself being like stuck in mud and not being able to move. And there's so many times too when I've been stuck there, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? It's just like reiterates over and over again. It's like you keep living in the same reality of stuckness, stuckness, stuckness. And it's like, where do I go from here? Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny. Like sometimes you'll see those like lists of like most Googled questions and Mm. a lot of those, like, what do I do next? Like a lot of those questions, like people will just almost be like a cry for help into Google. And I think that it's really indicative of this, like when you are stuck in that question, when you're stuck on that cycle of thought, it's really hard to break yourself out of it. And it's also hard for your friends and family to break you out of it unless they're really skillful because they're just either annoyed or they're empathizing too much or whatever it is. Like the conversation isn't like really productive the way it would be with like a coach or a therapist. 
And yes, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You can keep going. Yeah, it's just like it. It's just so powerful, though. Once you do get the aha moment, and I think that we often feel like we should be able to come up with it ourselves. I think it's why we ask the question over and over again. It feels like if we just ask it one more time, you know, a bright light from the sky will open up and tell us what the answer is. And that's not realistic because when you're stuck in the problem, you're not looking for the solution. Right. Cause I feel like when I've been there before too, I am, I'm just focused on the problem. Like my mind just keeps looping about that I'm stuck and then I don't know the solution, right? So in, wow, in that reality of me being like, I'm stuck and I don't know the solution. Well, then how can I find, how can I find it? I'm just admitting to myself that I don't know what it is and I can't find it. Then I'm living in that reality that I'm not, I'm not finding it. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny because when I'm with, when I'm working with someone one-on-one, uh, I will often hear them say, I don't know. And I'm like, well, is that really, I, I mean, I say it very nicely, very gently, but is that really true? Like, do you have things you've been thinking about? Oh, well, yeah, I guess this. Oh, I guess that. It's like, well, that sounds like more clarity than you've started with. Like you're not even usually letting yourself see the options when you're in that mode. Yes, that's what it, that's what it is. You don't even really see what your options can possibly be because in those moments, it's like we're not solution oriented. We're a kind of lack and fear oriented and when we're in those stages of being and vibration like i just firmly believe when we're in lack and when we're in fear we can't there's no solutions they don't exist in that realm because that's just not where we are at all and when right when we're fearful of of something of like why isn't this happening and like why can't i get out of this or just that those negative emotions when we're stuck in that place, really, I feel like solutions don't exist there. And then we just keep repeating ourselves over and over again. And I, I'm thinking about myself being in those situations. And it's like, really, like in those moments, what, what did I focus on? And I focused on just the problem and like being aggravated that I was stuck there. And it's so true when you talk to other people about it because they're not coaches they get frustrated or they just don't want, don't know what to say, or you're right. They give you a little bit more empathy than you need. And I'm thinking about myself being on the opposite side. Like when I was the friend and someone was talking to me, there's definitely moments of frustration. Cause it's like, you've been saying this for months now and nothing is changing. So what, you know, like why, and what are you doing? But then when I think about myself being in that situation, I'm like, yes, okay. That was tougher. That, that was a tough spot. And I did get, I, you know, I was in those loops of being stuck and, you know, having more empathy for that person your friend who, who may be stuck that you're trying to help out. But again, like you mentioned too, it's like that balance of empathy right? where you're not just coddling them and being like, Oh, it's cool. Like you'll figure it out. It's all, you know, it's fine. I've been there too. It's like, that's not really constructive or, or helpful. No. You know, it's really only constructive at the very beginning. If someone's really like truly in the thick of it, but if they are hitting a point where they actually want the answer, that it doesn't really create aha moments. And that's really yeah. what the person in the middle of it is looking for is to have that moment of, oh, I wasn't looking at, uh, looking at it that way. I needed yeah. to like just change my perspective. And I think that's what I love about the Clarity Journal is like it helps. Like You don't have to do the whole thing. You just have to do the questions that really call to you. 
And if you do that, it just is going to help you change your perspective a little bit. So that way you can access the answers because sometimes a lot of times I find that people, when they're stuck, it's not as much about making the decision as dealing with decision fatigue as well. Like you do have a couple options, but you're so exhausted trying to figure out which one's the best one. And you're looking at it in the same way. Yeah. And so how do you get out of that loop? Yes. <laughs> uh, decision fatigue is such a real thing. Oh my gosh. I never really thought about that too much, but that is real. Becca, what are, what are some things that you can even like recommend right now? Is it just like a shift in perspective to help people get unstuck a little bit? I think that it starts with self-compassion. Um, I think that when you are stuck, you're inherently like what you were talking about, like when you're stuck, you're feeling stuck in the mud, you're feeling frustration. You're actually feeling the cortisol. You're feeling like if you really feel annoyed, your body is sending different chemicals that are literally making you feel bad. And so therefore that's why you're not able to get up into the higher level thinking. So I think that starting with like self-compassion, like I have hit this point and now I want to do something better. Um, I think that a lot of times when we hit that point where we need something new, we are annoyed because the universe isn't just giving it to us. Yeah. Like, you know, like our boss isn't giving us the promotion or maybe the boss is the problem and you just don't like the boss. Like why isn't the universe just giving me a new boss? Um, and I think that getting outside, like taking back agency and feeling like, okay, you know, what? I've been at this job for three years and there are reasons why they're not promoting me. And it's not all personal. They don't have the space for it. It's that level of management doesn't exist here. Or, you know, that level of management is just already pretty saturated. I mean, there's just a lot of different reasons why maybe it's not coming as easily to move the, in the direction you want. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I think that when we start fighting against it, like when we start like really wanting it to just come easy and naturally, and you don't have to think about it and really go after it proactively, like it, it's giving up a bit of your own power because sure your company might give you a promotion, but what if it's in a direction you don't want to go? Like if you're really just focused on something coming to you instead of, really taking stock of, oh, I've done this job for three years. This is not challenging me anymore. This is kind of, I've hit a plateau. That's okay. Cause we all do it. It's just time to move on. That makes it a lot easier to have the energy to move forward versus that struggle and fight. And I think that a lot of people don't really recognize. And I know I, when I've been in that stuck feeling, haven't recognized it for myself as easily. It's like, we're constantly growing and changing. No one is listening to this podcast that is like, I just want to be the same person for the rest of my, you know, it's like, no one's listening to, there are people out there like that, but mm -hmm. no one who is listening to this falls in that paradigm of like, I just want to like be in my house, take care of my lawn, go to work for the same job for 30 years. Like, that's just not what most people value because you really aren't following purpose. But if you're following purpose, that purpose is going to continuously grow and change because what you know now 
isn't going to be who you are now, isn't going to be who you are in three years, because you take all of these challenges, all these things you overcome and you are growing and you are shifting. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people get stuck is because they want to find their life purpose. And it feels like when we say life purpose, that should be my life's purpose. Like it should be all of it. And it's not, it's kind of your like three month, three year purpose to move on to like the next level. Yes. Huh. It's like, wow. It's like the life's purpose. Can we maybe like break that down into segments, right? And like, okay, well, what is my, what is my life's purpose now? Because you're so right. Like my life's purpose could change in literally in like a, a few weeks. It could change in the next year or two or five or whatever it might be. And that is so real. I've had like my life purpose thoughts before too. And I think it is literally for life and it never is that way. It never we're is. Because we're constantly yes. changing. And the cool yep. thing is though, if you are, you know, trying to stay as close to what the purpose is for now, then it ends up leading to a path that is really interesting, but it's more dynamic than just a you know, here's my mission statement, my like three paragraph mission statement of my life. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like if like, right, my, my life journey or like my life goal or path or where I want to be, like, I hope that changes because I'm rightly, you said like, I'm going to evolve. I'm going to change. So I feel like even right now, if I have like my life's purpose and I say, just, I stay so stuck and rigid in that in my entire life, I'm going to miss out on so many other opportunities and so much joy and so many other beautiful things that could be brought my way because I was stuck on the vision of who I thought I was supposed to be at 35 mm -hmm. instead of, well, who's Justin at like 37 or 35 and a half or 40 or like, and I just feel like with that too, there's just so much openness and so much more opportunity for us to receive. Um, and honestly, in my mind too, when I think about it that way, I think life can just be that much more special when we are evolving and things are shifting and our life purpose does change, whether it be totally a 180 or maybe just like a tiny bit. But I think it, it really does. It just keeps, it keeps ourselves open because I'm, I am really becoming a, a fan of like really not being rigid and not being so stuck in this exact way of how it's supposed to go and what it's supposed to be. Because like, again, I'm not the same person I even was yesterday. Right. So how well, can my life purpose be the same? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of more like art or something that's growing and becoming something beautiful as opposed to, as opposed to something that's static. I think that the people that mm. are the most disappointed are the ones that have viewed it very statically because at a certain level, that's a lot. There's a lot of perfectionism in that. There's a lot of, I've got to get this right answer because this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, and perfectionism can be very, um, scary. It can, it, it makes it hard to move forward because, when we have to wait until we have the perfect answer to move forward, then we really aren't allowing ourselves that space for growth, that space for change. Absolutely. And Becca, I was thinking this too, when you kind of use like the example with somebody at work, do you, is like, is a good way to get unstuck is to maybe be more free and maybe just go more with the flow of life. Because if you're in that job, 
and you're stuck and you say, well, I want to, I want, you know, I, I need to move up and maybe it doesn't exist there. Or maybe you've just outgrown that job and that position. So if your company is not promoting you, maybe instead of being stuck and so angry and rigid, you say, okay, this is not what's happening. This is not what's being brought to me. That's okay. There's gratitude. There's beauty here. There's gifts here. So, okay. They don't want to give me that promotion. Let me go with the flow of life. Maybe let me start looking elsewhere, seeing what else could open up to me. What other things could be available to me? Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. It's actually really funny. So my older son, I homeschool him. Um, and when we first started homeschooling, I was expecting everyone to ask me, oh, how are you going to social? Like, how is he going to get socialization? That was the thing I was worried I was going to get all these questions about. Mm-hmm. That's not the question I have ever, I don't think I've ever gotten that question. Um, the question everyone asks me is how is he going to learn to deal with difficult people? And the first time someone asked me that it really hit me just like right here. Cause I was like, that is the problem. All of my clients are stuck in it's, they have spent their entire childhood and adolescence. You know, if you have a good teacher, that's fabulous. And there are lots of good teachers, but if you have a teacher, you do not get along with, and you're stuck with them for a year, you are stuck. If you have a bully in your class, you are stuck. There is no changing. And I think that it gets us. And then like, A year from now, you'll get a new teacher. It will go away, but that's not how it works in real life. In real life, if you get stuck with a bully, you should get a new darn job. Like you should not stay there, nor should you wait for next year for it to change. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting way to look at that too. Cause yeah, with school, you are, you're more kind of, you're with those situations, you are kind of more stuck. And I just feel like as we get older, it's us who keeps ourselves stuck. Right. Right. It is us in that moment who's deciding to stay at that job and be unhappy or be stuck. It is us. And I'm thinking about those moments that I felt stuck. Like, yes, let me take some responsibility for this and ownership for this right now. It was me who was keeping myself stuck. And there's always reasons for it. Like, I don't know how many women I've heard it's, and it's almost always women who have said, I'm not ready to job search right now because I'm working on a big project. And if I leave, I'm going to disappoint my coworkers. I'm going to, it's going to hurt my coworkers. So I'm going to stay for six months and then I will start job searching. And I just sitting there like, okay, but like that, like, I'm glad you love your coworkers, but your job is not working for you. You're literally putting your body through more cortisol. Like, what's the point of that? Like there, that job would give you two weeks notice in a, I mean, that job wouldn't even give you two weeks notice in a heartbeat. That job would walk you out in a heartbeat if you weren't working for them or working out with them. Like you should feel free I mean, please do give two weeks notice unless you're in a truly abusive situation, but like you should feel free to give two weeks notice and move on to something that is more satisfying. Definitely. Do your clients, for their stuckness, do they take responsibility or do they blame the outside situation normally for for that? You know, I think that most of my clients, by the time they get to me, by the time they actually are ready to hire me. 
they're usually taking a little bit more responsibility, but I hear the stories and I also see my, see these stories in my friends. So I see, you know, I've seen these patterns over and over again, and I think that it goes in cycles and I think it depends on how honest we are with ourselves. I think sometimes it's really hard to be honest with ourselves Mm. for a lot of good reasons. Um, you know, we are kind of taught to avoid pain. I'm going to take another like parenting example. How many times have I told my kids it's okay when they're upset. And each time I do it, I cringe because it's like, obviously it's not okay. It's going to be okay. We will work through this, but when someone tells someone else it's okay in this moment that I don't feel okay, you're dismissing those feelings. And I think that it takes a while to really open up to yourself and be honest and, and be okay with it. Like, I think that this is a, sometimes I get somewhat gendered and I don't like everyone falls somewhere on the spectrum. Um, like, but I think that like women often have been told that they're, when they're angry, they're not rational. And I think men have just told, been told they shouldn't feel anything. (laughs) And so, um, like, I think that in both cases, like we aren't really acknowledging that our emotions actually have rational underpinnings. Like if someone's not treating us well, my response, my anger within myself is actually okay. Like that is telling me something I need to listen to it. Now, what you do with it, like if you go and like, you know, a lot of people when they're angry, they won't confront the thing that is actually making them angry, they will just start snapping at their partner or snapping at their kids or, you know, I I mean, I I have a lot of people in my life, just like acquaintances and friends that I can tell will snap at service people. And it's like that service people person didn't do a darn thing to you. You are taking your anger out on them because it's a safe place to vent it. And that's not okay both for them and for you, because if you are angry, you need to listen to that. Exactly. Cause you snapping at that other person, that's not helping you. That's not right. That's not resolving the issue. And it's not uh, satisfying to you. Like it feels like it should be a relief, but you, you doing that actually hurts you too. Absolutely. Because like, and I just feel like you're the one stewing in that anger and that negativity. So it's just, it's affecting you even more than it's affecting that other person. Right. And um, that is true. And I, I, this is something I've been learning uh, and trying to adopt even more and more. It's like when we feel angry or aggravated, why though? And it's like, that is, it's a warning. It's not even a warning. It's like, um, it's a message from our bodies, from ourselves, just to be like, okay, you don't agree with this thing. This thing conflicts with you. But like you said, then it just depends how we act. Are we gonna act in anger? Or are we just gonna use that emotion to bring more awareness to who we are, what we don't like, who we are not, and then approach it maybe in a more loving and kind situation, right? right? Or set boundaries for yourself. I think that sometimes this really ties into boundary setting. And I think a lot of us, really were not brought up to set good boundaries or even know what good boundaries look like. And if you aren't setting good boundaries, you're hoping other people will respect your boundaries 
and they're not going to. I mean, it's it's sad, but if they weren't respecting your boundaries already, they're not going to start respecting your boundaries just because you're angry about it. Definitely. And that's something too I think about a lot is the balance because I'm, I mean, all about love, all about kindness and giving my energy to people and helping anyone in any moment. But right, there is that balance of, okay, now when is this actually hurting me? Right, when, when, it, when is it actually not good for my soul or my being? And just knowing when to be compassionate and show empathy, but also protect my own energy. Right. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it can get a little tricky sometimes. And I I work on that with myself and also just detaching myself from a situation where, you know, if someone's being outlandish or angry, I can be there because I know that person's hurting because I used to be really angry. I had a really bad temper. It was just because I was hurting. (laughs) I didn't want to be that way, you know? And I think that's, I think that is a really important thing to recognize is that when other people are responding to you in like, in that, like with just any sort of negative energy, a lot of times it has nothing to do with you at all. At, at all. And, and there's nothing you're going to be able to really do to fix it, except be able to like stay firm in your own power. Totally. And I think like, I think that's one of the most powerful things when someone's being angry or nasty or mean or whatever to you, and you are able to not react in the same way, mm-hmm. when you're able to stay calm and at peace, I feel like those are really the magical moments because those are the really eye-opening things for people because they're like, how are you not, how, how, like, how are you not match my energy right now? And it's just so obvious when a person is being calm and they're not matching the energy uh, of the angry person. So that's something that I've been working on lately too. It's like having that balance, but also like detaching myself where I can be with somebody in their presence with them, but not get so emotionally attached to how they're behaving. Right. So I can show love to you and have empathy for you. And you might be screaming or being angry or mad or whatever it might be. And I'm finding, I'm trying that I'm trying. I am every day finding that balance of where I am there for them and maybe when they start to get too much and if it is too much for me and I need to protect my energy I will remove myself but I I try to be as best as I can in moments and be there with people and just do that have that have that detachment where I can be here with you but I'm not so engulfed I'm not so thrown into your energy and who you are like I can see I can witness it without being so emotionally involved in it. Right. Well, and I think that when you're able to do that, especially if, I mean, a lot of times we're talking about this in like in family and friend contexts. Right. I think that when you are able to do that, then you are also not feeding it. Like even if you did something wrong, if you're not feeding the drama, if you're not responding in kind, it actually helps the other person come into a better space. Assuming that you're not, you know, just stonewalling or like, you know, being superior or whatnot. And I think that it's really interesting just how people's inner energy interacts. Like, and like you could both like stew and cycle and, and spin off each other and end up in a bad place. 
or if someone can stay centered, you can actually have a productive conversation. You totally can. When I used to have a really bad temper, when people would stay centered and calm, first it would kind of aggravate me a little bit more, but (laughs) but then I would just kind of be in awe in the moment. I was like, wow. And it was inspiring to me then, right? Because it showed me actually what was possible. It showed me that I didn't have to act the way I was acting because I cannot stress it enough. That never felt good for me. I never wanted to be like that. Um, I'm taking response. I, it was me who acted that way, but I, I mean, I was younger. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel that way. It sucked for me. You know what I mean? So, and when you have somebody come back and replicate the energy that I was giving them, it just builds and builds and it, it explodes and nothing good ever, ever comes from that. So I think it is important if you can, with your energy, be there to support that person and, and bring that calmness to it. I think that's brilliant, but also in protecting your energy, I think it is something where if you are not able to get there yet, because there's sometimes with me right now where someone may act in a certain way and all I can do is be silent. I can't quite yet come back to them with love. My love in that moment is just me being silent, not reciprocating, not because in moments too, I'll want to say something that I feel like is loving, but I know it's going to come out in a tone that isn't loving. Right. And then I just kind of chill because I don't want to make the situation worse. And I don't, in every moment of my life, right? I want to be love. I want to be kindness. And if I can feel myself in a moment, maybe not responding in that way, I would rather just be silent than than say anything at all. Yeah. Well, you know, another way, another thing to think about possibly doing is saying, I don't feel like if I engage this right now, it would be constructive. Like, I don't think I would be constructive because that helps diffuse the other person too. It's like bringing it back to, okay, let's be constructive. Absolutely. And Becca, what are, so is it mainly, you know, this is within your coaching. Uh, Are there any other parts that you feel like you really thrive in or that you can really offer your clients or that maybe more that they come to you for? You know, I really love, so one of the things I love about working with my clients, and I feel like almost everyone has this problem, probably including me, um, almost certainly including me, (laughs) you know, we do not value our strengths enough. When I get a client who I'm just starting to work with, I will like hear their stories and like really sit down with them and hear everything that's going on. And you know, pretty soon into the conversation, I'll start saying, Hey, so I hear this is a strength of yours. And they almost always will pause and not in a really good way. Not in a like, Oh yeah, no, (laughs) it's like pause. And like, I don't know whether I agree with you. Maybe you're crazy lady and this isn't worth it. (laughs) And, and so then I'll explain that when we have strengths, they usually come fairly easy to us. And there's something that we've either practiced a lot subconsciously, like without needing to practice it. It was just something we liked doing or like it just, it just comes. It's not a struggle. It's not work. And to use another school example, um, sometimes I feel like I bash school a little bit too much. School is great. Stay in school. 
but recognize where the school systems have failed us a bit. Because when you are in school, you, and everyone's had this experience, you bring your report card home and either your parents say, or your, or your teacher actually explicitly writ out, written out on your report card, Johnny did great in math, but he really needs to try harder in reading. And your parents will say, oh, that's great. But let's really focus on talking about like, what's your strategy for doing better on math? <laughs> you know, like what is like, let's, let's really like talk about this. This is concerning. And we train ourselves to do that. We, you know, I remember in school learning the comp, like I call it the compliment sandwich. Like, I mean, that's kind of like a management term, but like, but you definitely learn it when you're learning how to like critique other people's writing. Like you give like one good thing, one bad thing and one good thing. And we do it in our own heads. Um, and no one ever means the good thing. Like we all know that the good thing was just to get to the bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so we don't see our strengths. We don't value our strengths. I think it's really funny because a lot of times our strengths are triggers um, because our coworkers don't have our strengths and we, because we can't see it as our strength. And that's really cool when someone else doesn't have it and someone else is taking a long time on something we could have done fast, then it triggers us. Like, why can't they, this is easy. Why can't they do it? Well, they can't do it because they have different strengths. And the more that you can really own your strengths and work with them, the more flow you will be in at work, because the whole point of your strengths is like that you are in flow when you are doing it. You are not struggling. It just comes naturally, but not naturally in kind of a boring way, naturally in like kind of an energizing, nourishing way. Mm -hmm. And we can't get there at work. I don't think if we don't really own the strengths we have, because not every job is perfect for every person. And if you can really own your strengths and articulate your strengths, then your job interviews are going to go better. You're going to get the job that you should get, as opposed to if you're just, you know, we all know how to put on a face, right? Like, Instagram generation, like social media, we know how to say what we need to say to look like we are someone else. Mm -hmm. But the more that we really know who we are, like, and I don't mean this from a woo-woo sense. I am like talking true, like pure, like what is, what are your gifts? Like the more you can be authentic with that, the more you can own it, the way you're going to be way more powerful in all aspects of like professional work life or creative life or artistic life, mm -hmm. wherever it is. But even, you know, now I'm saying that, and I've never had this, this, I'm having my own aha moment, like even in your own relationships, because if you recognize something's a strength, then you can bring more of that to bear instead of really trying to rely on fixing, fixing, fixing. Like, you know, it's like, oh, like, you know, maybe you have a temper issue, but like you have other like really good strengths. If you can really focus on that, like it's just so much more collaborative and able to then really pull in people to help you and to help further you along.
Yes, value and lean into our strengths. I love that. Value our strengths. Perfect. Because it sounds so simple and almost like, well, yeah, duh, value your strengths. But it's like a lot of us don't do that. We focus. A lot of us don't know what they are. And if you don't know what Uh, they are, like if you can't really articulate it, because I think that that's it. It's like a lot of times people, when that I said, said at the beginning that they had have that look like, oh, let's see if I really believe this. You know, maybe you've done Strength Finder, maybe you've taken your Myers Briggs, but that's not like really knowing it and owning it. Hmm. And I think that that's what I really help people do is know and own their strengths. So that way, when they are job searching, when they are deciding whether they're going to start a business, when they are deciding what is next, they can really feel that, like, feel being centered, feel the, like that inner strength helping push them forward. Yes. It's like the alignment of who they are, like our strengths I feel like are just more of the core of who we really are. So if we can put more emphasis on those and put more energy into those and like, of course, we're going to thrive and of course, we're going to do better in life. Right. And it's like, it's just good to have your awareness be brought back to this because I don't think about this that often myself personally, like, I'm like, okay, what are my strengths? What am I great at? Let me do those more and more and more. And let me focus on that more for what I, I mean, as a species, I feel like we do just kind of go towards like, well, the weakness, it's like, there could be two things I'm great at, but one thing I'm not great at. And it's like, okay, well, why am I not great at this thing? Like, uh, yeah. And now that I think about it, maybe that makes sense. You know, if you're not great at running back in the day, you're going to like get eaten by the saber toothed tiger. <laughs> like those yeah. weaknesses maybe really were like life and death. But you're not being good at math is not life and death. Like, unless you choose to be a rocket scientist or like, you know, right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, aircraft mechanic. Like if you are not good at math, maybe you shouldn't do that. But I, I think that we really, it's like, if we can really value the strengths, then we can help guide our, guide ourselves. I think I'm big into being your own best friend, like, you know, being your own coach, being like, yeah, sure. Hire me. I'd love that. But at a certain level, what you really need is to be able to be that for yourself. And yes, you might need help with it and you might need help at various times. Like, you know, we all have those times where, you know, someone gets laid off and they weren't expecting it. And that's a big knock to the psyche. Um, but So we do need that community that, that the underlying support, but the more you can do it for yourself, the more you can be honest with yourself in both directions, like not just the negative stuff, be honest with like where you are doing great, honest with yourself about what you want, the more you're going to be living a more empowered life. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about this right now too. It's like, when I think myself, like, you know, we focus on our weaknesses of like why I can't do this. It's always like self-deprivation and um, a lack of self-love or compassion where we're kind of beating ourselves up and like looking down on ourselves. But there is a massive difference in that. And then also just being aware, 
that I'm not so great at this thing, not beating myself up about it, but using that to my advantage to be like, okay, cool, I'm not great at math maybe. Okay, so then let me not go do these things that pertain a lot to math. Like without being mad or angry at myself or being like, you suck because you're not good at math. Just make, okay, I'm not good at that. No big deal. I'm aware of it. That's cool. Now that can help steer me. That can be a tool that steers me in a, in a more powerful direction where I can use my strengths. So I, I think that's just, that's like a big part of it. It's just being aware of them. I think awareness is everything. It's key. It's, it's, it's incredible for us to know who we are. And there's just a much bigger difference of just being aware simply of something and being aware of that thing and letting it just tear us down and, and beat us up because we just, we don't need that in ourselves. That doesn't help anybody. We, so many of us, including myself at times, we beat ourselves up. And that's something I work on all the time. It's just being kinder to myself, not beating myself up. And when we can release those feelings and not do that to ourselves, because the outside world can get tough sometimes. We don't need to also do it to ourselves. And when we can remove that, oh my gosh, there's just, it's so much freeing. You feel so much love in your heart and you just feel so much more open. You don't feel like this weight bringing you down. Literally, your body is at a higher frequency. We're vibrating at a higher level and we literally just can feel lighter. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we, and I really just thought about this right now as we're having the conversation about that. And for everyone listening, be aware maybe of what your weaknesses are, but don't hit yourself or beat yourself up about them. Well, it's being able to see them non-judgmentally. Yes. You know, if you have a weakness in math, and, you know, most of us do use math in day-to-day -day life. It's really hard to actually avoid math. If, you're, if you've had a weakness there, you hire a CPA. Or if it's time to do the budget for, for work, you ask for help. Like you, you don't just try to push through. And I think that there's like, you know, in Buddhism, they talk a ton about non-judgmentalness. And... And, I, and it's definitely integrated into a lot of the self-help, like the less Buddhist-centered self-help. And I think that that's a real key thing. It's like, we don't have to make excuses. We don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. We can just not judge it. And I think that we feel like if we judge it, we'll be able to fix it. And that's not true. Like when you try to push through with willpower instead of like from being centered, you're not going to get nearly as much done. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Becca, I want to talk a little bit more about your books too. So okay. we have the book that's out, The Clarity Journal. Mm -hmm. Correct. I know you talked about that a little bit, but if you could just give us just a little more insight uh, about that book. And then I know you have a new book coming out uh, next year. Yeah. So the Clarity Journal is um, basically a hundred writing prompts and quotes to help kind of just get you out of that stuck feeling, help you look at your problem a little bit differently. Um, I start with like what's going well, because one of the things that I find that people who aren't using a coach run into is they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're so mad at work. They're so annoyed. They are so in angst that they forget that there are things that are going well and that they want to make sure to keep them on. They talk themselves into bad situations because that bad situation looks like it's going to be better because they don't recognize the things that they would be giving up. Um, and one of the other things that I really talk about in the clarity journal, that's a little counterintuitive, but I think is really important is finding friends and mentors. Um, you know, we do all have friends that 
both that either feed us or that kind of pull our energy down and really knowing which is which and really trying to cultivate the help you need because we are, we have all, everyone listening to this is probably grown up with the internet. Like you just Google it and I should be able to like take that answer and know like, oh, well, I just read this article. This is the answer. But that really loses sight of the fact that if you are going to be changing, if you're going to be doing something even remotely different, you don't have the experience yet. So you don't have the human filter. It's one of the reasons why I love podcasts is because you do hear that back and forth and you get more of a human filter, but it's still not the same as you getting to answer the ask and answer the questions. And so being able to reach out to other humans, I think is really important. And I think we don't do that. I think very few people will do that. And you don't necessarily need to like if you want to go into politics, you don't need to write Barack Obama and ask him, like, how do I become like a world-class politician? But you can ask people that are just like a step or two above you. And that's how you get mentors. I think I hear so often, I just wish I had a mentor. I just wish I had a mentor. And I'm just going to say, if you're not actively seeking out mentors, mentors that are going to find you might not be the best mentors because they have their own agenda. Like you need to actually seek it out for yourself. Um, yeah, I just really believe in this, like just looking at it in a different way. And as you start looking at it outside of your own framework, that the answers start coming and that the answer doesn't have to be perfect, but the more that you really wrestle with this honestly within yourself the easier it is to accept that it doesn't have to be perfect. The easier it is to accept that this 80% solution is fine. It's okay. I've really looked at it from all the angles and this is a good choice. Yes. And then can you uh, just talk about too, a little bit of what's the title of your book coming so out? Yeah. My next book is Mindful Procrastination. And it really works with uh, some of the things that I've been talking about. I get on these podcasts and I'm like, oh, right. This is like, going into my book. <laughs> I need to, I'm going to have to transcribe, yeah, get this transcribed. Um, so for me, I really believe that procrastination, we spend so much time trying to willpower it away. We get mad at ourselves. We, you know, when we are procrastinating, we are not listening to the underlying problem. Like everyone, when they are procrastinating, there is a reason. Um, the reason may not be readily apparent. Like sometimes the reason is that you're just too tired. You haven't been like feeding your body. Sometimes the reason is you don't actually have the clarity you want or need to really move forward. And I think that getting into like really what's going on and being able to look at it from that place of non-judgmentalness that we were talking about and like getting past the just do it mentality and into the curiosity and mm. Hey, I'm not doing what I said I wanted to be doing. There's fear here. Like I've been ignoring it, but there's fear here. Like, how do I overcome that? And again, like looking for help when you need help, like making sure you don't feel like you need to do everything on your own. Um, I think that it's really hard. Also, like a lot of times when I hear people say, Oh, I procrastinate too much, or like I've been procrastinating. Then I hear all that they're doing and I'm like, you have not been procrastinating. Like you're doing other things. You might be 
not prioritizing well, but you were filling up a lot of space, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a lot of productivity books just really come at it from a very capitalist like mindset of like, let's get more and more and more and more done. And I think that when you're procrastinating, it's because your body is telling you something and you're just, your body is telling you something. A lot of times it's telling you to slow down or like you need to evaluate. And instead of listening to that, you go watch Netflix or instead of that, you know, a lot of people, when they procrastinate, they're not actually doing something that is procrastinating. It's not like binge watching Netflix. It's like, Oh, I'm gonna cle- like I need to get started on my taxes. I'm going to go clean my house. Um, mm-hmm. Like they substitute one productive thing for another, but that's not really withholding boundaries within yourself of like, I want this for this reason. I need to get, I need to do it. So if you, if this speaks to anyone that's listening, I do on my website, have a opt-in like i'll just you can throw your email in and i will email when it is released amazing and i think it, it, something that's been synonymous i think just with you in parts of this conversation and then i saw on your site as well is the idea of just like not pushing through but like being curious finding out what the actual issue and problem is not just throwing the band-aid on it and being like all right shut up let's just keep going and i really think that's just so crucial in our happiness in our own power and us thriving in life uh, to really just, really just stop for a moment. Let there be silence, let there be space, bring our attention in and get to the root of the issue and whatever might be happening. Instead of being like, eh, whatever, I'm not gonna think about it. I'm just gonna get back to work or do whatever. It's like, let's figure out really what the problem is. What is creating us to act and be this way? Because that is how I feel like you that actually gets solved. Exactly. I, I think that, I think we've tried as a society to have this push through mentality. I think, you know, I think there are some reasons. Um, I think probably, you know, during the Great Depression and World War II, people had to push through a lot. And those are our great grandparents, our grandparents, and like how we've kind of been taught. Um, but I don't think it serves us in this world where we can do anything. I don't think it mm-hmm. serves us in a world of unlimited possibilities because it's not the same thing. It's not, we just have to get through this war. (laughs) It's not, we just have to figure out how to get some food on the table. It is life purpose. Like, what do I want my life to look like? It is more expansive. And so we can't be more expansive with these habits that we learned from people that were stuck in a really dire situation that was not expansive at all. Right, and like we literally live in a different reality than they lived in back then. It's like a different world, a different universe. It is completely different. So just in you saying that, I realized that too. I'm like, it doesn't make sense, not even just for this situation and like many situations, it doesn't make sense to pick up the habits or portray acts of, of parts of life that don't really resonate or have anything to do with where we are currently right now. And it's easy to do that because like, well, that's what we know. That's what we've heard of before. It's like, that's where we can get some information from. It's like, well, it worked for them. So it's got to work for us. But it's like, we're literally living in a completely different world. So then like, 
But when you think about it that way, it's like, well, then why would we try to emulate and do the things that worked then? Because they're most likely not going to work right now. Exactly. And Becca as well. Um, how did you get here? How did you start coaching, writing books? What was the inspiration? Well, like literally, what what was it that got you to follow this life path? So I did what everyone does in their twenties. I, um, you know, went through, I got my first job out of college thought I knew everything, thought I knew what I wanted, like <laughs> really thought I was like 12 steps ahead of where I was. Yep. Didn't like it, really had to like go deep within myself. Um, uh, you know, lots of reading, lots of like a really powerful journey. And as I was going through that, trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted, all of my friends were going through the same thing at the same time. You know, they all had done the same thing. They had gotten into a job, you know, either they had gotten the job they wanted and it wasn't what they thought it was, or, you know, we all have friends who, who just took longer to, like, they got stuck in dead-end jobs or whatnot. And I started helping them. I was like, just naturally, like, like every time I'd see them, oh, well, have you tried this? Or, like, I started naturally using what I was learning and asking them questions and like trying to get like, and as I started helping them through the process and helping them move forward, I really realized that I wanted to be a coach. And this was like when and coaching was baby, like there was no, like there was life coaching, but it was not nearly the same industry that it is today. I, uh, found a really great teacher. She taught me and I did it, um, for quite a while. And then, you know, we go through those changes. I love coaching, but I really realized that what I really love doing is writing and talking about this stuff. And so I think the coaching informs my writing, um, in a really wonderful way, but the writing about it is really, I feel like incredibly important to me. I, um, I tell this story a lot. I, I learned how to meditate when I was 12. I learned from a 13 year old Valley girl. I was living in New Jersey. She was the coolest thing ever. Um, she had the accent. I kind of almost feeling myself like start, I, I can't do the Valley girl accent, but I hear myself talking differently, long blonde hair. She had come to visit her aunt, um, who lived in my neighborhood and we spent a week just kind of hanging out and talking. And I don't remember any other conversation, Except I remember her telling me about, I think it was a Buddhist monk. Cause I have this memory of her talking about orange robes, but I could be making, I don't know who she learned to meditate from. Um, and she was just like, you sit cross-legged, you put your hands on your knees and you just follow your breath. Like you visualize your breath going in, you visualize your breath going out. And that's pretty much the extent of what she told me. And I was the biggest geek. I mean, I'm still geeky. Like, let's be honest. I wanted to be like Yoda. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I started doing it. And I think that I was given such a gift because I really did start meditating at 12 and, you know, it ebbed and flowed. I came back to it and left it, but I really didn't have any formal instruction in it until I hit college. 
And when I hit college and started like getting more formal instruction through various, you know, yoga classes and whatnot, um, I did take a couple meditation classes and went on a few retreats. Adults complicate things so much. Like I'd read Buddhist books or like meditation books and it's like 300 pages and that's great, but that's not how I don't think that's how you should learn. Um, I think it's just adding this human layer of rules that is not in the spirit of mindfulness. And so I really feel like my writing kind of is infused with that, like infused with this, like, this can be a lot easier. We can uncomplicate it. We don't have to judge it. And I kind of love it. I really, I love talking about it. I love like working with people on it. And that's, that's how I got to where I am. Amazing. The fact that you learned meditation at 12 years old. I didn't meditate till I was 30. So was you like, know, though, but like most people, I do know 12 year olds that learn to meditate because I know some kids who grew up Buddhist and like they don't have, they didn't have the same like experience I did. Like, I think that it's really, it's more that child mind, like the beginner's mm -hmm. mind, the like being able to let go of excess rules. And I, like, like you said, like adults, we, we complicate things. Like I'm sure learning as a child, there wasn't much thought. You were probably just there in the moment, focusing on your breath. When you say that too, it's like, I literally, I, uh, in the beginning of, of meditate, of meditating, I, there was a book called, literally it's called how to meditate. Mm -hmm. And I only made it like a third, maybe a little more of the way through. Cause I'm just like, this just, there's so much why there's so much information that's like you're overcomplicating it. At least for me, it didn't work. We're each our own individual that works for other people. Beautiful. But I did, I felt like it was just like more information than I actually needed when so many times in life, I think we just need to simplify things exactly. a little bit more. I remember the first time someone, I don't know, probably I was in my twenties, but the first time someone actually like set a meditation timer and I was like, what are you doing? Like you just meditate until you're done. Like, yeah. Like, why? Like, I mean, I do want intellectually understand, like if you're trying to hit a higher level, fine. But like, why would you do that with beginners? Like you, why would you tell a beginner they have to do it for any length of time? Like it doesn't, it literally doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's what it, it doesn't matter at all. And I'll tell people, people ask me about meditating and I'm like, well, I'll meditate for about 30 to 45 minutes each day. But it's like, that's just me and my practice right now. It wasn't always like this. It 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 varies and changes. So like it's like really for the beginners, it's whatever feels right. If a minute feels right, do a minute. If five feels great, cool. If a half an hour you can do that already, beautiful. Because when I first started meditating, I would do guided meditations because they just really helped me a lot. But then after that, I would set 30 minute alarms. Mm -hmm. And then I was doing that for a while. And I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. Like I did it so I wouldn't get like too carried away. So I, you know, I do it in the morning so I can still start my day. But there'd be moments where I would be in like in the zone, you know, like really in it. And then the alarm would go off. And I was like, I want to still be here. But now I'm being pulled out into the world. Uh, so now I don't have anything. And honestly, I just always end between 30 to 45 minutes. It just like my natural internal clock. I just kind of, it just really what feels right for me. And it always kind of ends up within that time frame. Yeah. Which well, for me, cool. I sometimes meditate for longer periods of time, but I oftentimes only meditate for like 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, 
like when you can get back to yourself and get back to center, like whatever that looks like for you, that's fantastic. And as you said, a minute, literally a minute can help you. And when we overcomplicate it, then people don't get those minutes. Definitely. Yes. And Becca, just before we, uh, we wrap things up, um, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask every single guest, everyone who's listening knows this is coming, um, but it's my favorite one. And uh, so my goal in life is to help shift the collective consciousness of the planet. I truly know and believe that we are all inherently good. We're all inherently love. We just get a little lost sometimes. I've been lost before too, um, but I know who we are is, is love. So my goal is to help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to that place, to a place that is more loving, who we truly are, a place that's kinder, more compassionate, uh, more empathetic, more forgiving and understanding of each other, and a place that understands our oneness. Uh, So Becca, what do you feel like, you know, how are you contributing um, each day, weekly, whenever, uh, in aiding and helping uh, in this shift of consciousness? Oh, what an expansive and big question. I, (laughs) I feel like, yeah, there is a part of this that is like maximizing yourself. But I think that the biggest part of what I do is like helping people be themselves and be more comfortable with both their strength and power. And I think that when you do that, you can be more compassionate both to yourself and to others. And I think that that just helps. I mean, it just, it has that ripple effect because as we were talking about earlier, it's like when you're angry, when you're feeling unutilized, when you're feeling undervalued, all of those things stifle you. And then you end up potentially lashing out at other people. Like all of it ripples, like in both directions. And I think that the more we can really just focus on ourselves and be in a better place ourselves. That is like the best thing you can do for the entire world. Yes. Oh, that was great. When we are in a beautiful, great state of being each our, each and every one of ourselves, that is, I firmly believe too, like the best thing that we can do because it's not outside of ourselves. It's within us. That's how we create the change. And like Becca, the fact that you're able to help people, I feel like live their truth and, and connect more to who they really are and live their passion. Uh, that's really, that's right in line. And I just, I could not agree more. That was awesome. There's no wrong answer. I just always get excited to, you know, hear the answers and that was beautiful. Um, and then Becca, before we cut out, if you can just let everybody know where they can find you on social media, your website online, where they can purchase your book, all that good stuff. You can get the Clarity Journal on Amazon. Super easy. Um, you can find me at BeccaRibbing.com. Um, and that's B-E-C-C-A-R-I-B-B-I-N-G. And social media is the same. Uh, and you, the links to social media are also on my website. Phenomenal. Becca, appreciate you and so much dedicating your life to... <laughs> really helping people, I feel like, get unstuck, connect to their purpose, thrive, live happier, better, more joy-filled lives. It is, uh, it's endearing and I, um, I'm very appreciative uh, of who you are and what you're doing. Um, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Of course, everybody, we love you so much. Thank you for hanging out with us for a little bit and we will see you next time.